It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Welcome, lovers of movies, to another episode of Movies You Should Love with Scott and Lauren. I am Scott, and joining me as always is Lauren. Say hi, Lauren. Uh, hi, Lauren. <laughs> this is a very special bonus. It had, it had to be done. It had Scott. to be. You know, come on. Absolutely. I set you up for it. Um, this is a special episode of Movies You Should Love um, because this is our one year anniversary, actually. We just kind of we were looking at our episode list and we went, we released the first one a year ago. This is amazing. And so we thought that we would kind of take this opportunity to um, do something we haven't really done before. We talk about a lot of movies here at Movies You Should Love. Yes, we do. Um, you know, and we've really been kind of dedicated to going through the AFI Top 100. Look at the, you know, re, we really have tried to examine some of these classic movies and try to figure out what made them work and what makes them relevant today or if they are relevant today. And one thing that we haven't always gotten to do um, is talk about the movies that we love. The movies that really, you know, that just get us or that we just get. And it's just movies that you know, that inspired us as we went through film school or movies that inspire us today to be better people or just movies we just love because they're just so darn lovable. Um, we thought we would talk about that. We we tried to compile a top 10 list and that just became too unwieldy. <laughs> um, and for the sake of time, we thought we would discuss our top five favorite movies. You know, we'll go back and forth. I'll share mine. Lauren will share his. Um, but before we get into that, since this episode is, um, we're going to try to release this as quickly as possible, um, gives us the chance to be a little bit relevant with some of our discussion. Um, with what's going on currently in movie news. And there was really, really big news yesterday in the yeah. movie world that just kind of came out of nowhere. Like I didn't hear any talk about this until all of a sudden, bam, Disney just bought Lucasfilm for $4.05 billion. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was kind of a big, um, you know, there's been things like hurricanes and things going on, whatever. Disney buying <laughs> hurricanes, Lucasfilm. And oh, by the way, yeah, I was just about Luke Skywalker. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, uh, I don't know how you people are who are listening. Uh, I know that for me, when I went on Facebook, you know, up until the point of this announcement, it had all been hurricane pictures and the occasional political, uh, right. you know, so attack of something. Yeah, and uh, as soon as this news hit, my Facebook turned into like wall to wall Star Wars discussion, yep. uh, Lucasfilm discussion, yep. um, with like the occasional political thing. Um, <laughs> so, anyhow, so obviously pretty big news, at least uh, with the nerds I hang out with. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, what what do you think, Scott? Uh, Disney owning Lucasfilm. Um, about a year ago, Disney also bought Marvel Comics and Marvel Entertainment. And um, a lot of nerds were really worried then, too. They immediately went, oh, no, Disney is going to totally muck with Marvel comic books. They're going to put Mickey Mouse in Spider-Man. Goofy is going to join the X-Men. And it didn't happen. It seems what actually happened is that Disney helped Marvel streamline um, the way it runs some of its businesses. It helped get some of the... Uh, their comic book characters onto their cartoon shows and i wouldn't be surprised if disney had a pretty heavy hand in helping create the avengers movie um so from what i could tell when it bought marvel only good really came of it Um, and so when i hear that they're buying lucasfilm i my mind doesn't immediately jump to donald duck joining the sith or replacing jar jar binks in the next special you know the super special edition release although that would make it better it would make it better but i don't see it happening it's like really what i kind of see happening is 
same thing as usual. It's going to be Disney making the best business decisions it thinks it has. And um, what excites me, what um, actually has me really hopeful for the future of Star Wars, is that they immediately announced Episode Seven um, going into production, and they're going to try to release that in the summer of 2015. Um, same summer Avengers 2 and the Justice League movie is supposed to be coming out. So to me, that's exciting because um, what I have often said, as much as I love George Lucas and as much as I'm thankful for him and his amazing imagination, I have felt like he has also been the one who's been holding the Star Wars universe back. I really feel like he is a great story person. I think he's very imaginative. I'm, I'm more than happy with him having, he said he has already drafted 7, 8, 9. I'm more than happy with that. I think the story of one through six is solid. I think he's needed writers and directors to come in. Um, I don't think it's um, coincidental that everybody quotes Empire Strikes Back as being their favorite of the Star Wars movies. wasn't written or directed by him. Neither was Return of the Jedi. And so it's like, when the best movies are ones that he has maybe had less of a hand in, I think that says something. So I'm excited about who could possibly be directing the next Star Wars movie? Who could be possibly uh, writing the next Star Wars movie? I would love it if the Pixar guys, mm. you know, get a Brad Bird in there or uh, Andrew Stanton or, you know, get one of those guys in there to be like, here's what I've always wanted to see. I'm all for it. I think yeah. it's great. Yeah. I mean, I could even see like a Gore Verbinski or somebody coming oh, off the Pirates or something coming in and doing yeah. Star Wars. I'd, I'd watch the Gore Verbinski Star Wars movie. Yeah. You know, and I know people immediately went, they need to get Joss Whedon in there. I'm like, no, they actually don't. I mean, I love Joss Whedon, um, but I don't think he needs to direct the next Star Wars movie. No. There's, but there's a lot of really great directors out there mm-hmm. that I think... Michael um, Bay, for instance. No, wait, wait. Well, I said that's great director. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, at, we're at a point now where the people who are directing these movies that we love grew up on Star Wars, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, exactly. So, or exactly. You know, so it's like, I think it, this would be a great time for someone to be like, you know what I've always wanted to see? And the thing that really excites me the most or what I hope happens next, some people on Facebook were merely going, they're going to reboot Star Wars. Please don't. No. This, the, the universe is so vast. When you look at the books, you look at the video games, you look at everything that's ever come out. Um, just keep telling stories. Just, you know, maybe get away from the Skywalker family saga and do something new. Give us another story that takes place on a different planet during the rebellion or go into the future. Let Luke be in it, but, you know, make the story about yeah, some well, new Jedi Padawans that are being trained and they want to become soldiers or Jedi. Yeah. Go new directions. I mean, there's so many directions you can go in this universe that have not been explored. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. Um, you know, I, I joked on Facebook to somebody, you know, the best Star Wars thing that has come out, uh, you know, since the original trilogy is probably Star Tours at Disney World. Right. Um, <laughs> and that may be stretching it just a little bit. But, um, not, you know, uh, not enough for it to be untrue. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I think Disney and Lucasfilm have always had a pretty good relationship. I mean, between something like Star Tours and. Uh, uh, you know, like the Indiana Jones stunt show and some of that stuff. Like, like I, they've always had kind of some cross... I mean, don't they do, like, Star Wars days at, at Disney still and that kind of thing? So, like, there's always been kind of that connection between yeah. Disney and, and Lucasfilm. So, to me, this feels really natural. And, um, you know, and I think about, like, the Star Wars products that I have actually enjoyed um, over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 mm-hmm. years or so. Um, you know, and I think of stuff like... Uh, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, the the original one and two, not mm-hmm. not the 
online role-playing game that came out recently. Um, or, uh, you know, like the uh, Dark Forces Jedi Knight and, you know, mm-hmm. Jedi Knight 2 and, and mm-hmm. um, you know, X-Wing versus TIE Fighter, some of those kind of things. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> X-Wing <laughs> no, versus no, TIE Fighter. Now I'm going back. But, that was great stuff. But, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, these, these were some of the great... Uh, you know, some of the great pieces came out of some of the, you know some of the video games, really. And you know, there have been books and you know additional pieces and things that have also expanded the world pretty well. And you know, I would love to see Disney explore in that sandbox mm-hmm. some more. Um, you know, I don't know what they're going to do for these next three movies. If if it is finishing off um, the the Skywalker saga, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually more okay with that than doing the prequel to the Skywalker saga. Yeah. Because actually, I don't really exactly know what happens. Well, I mean, um, but I kind of exactly knew what happened in episodes I, one, two, and three. That's what I was about to say. I think the prequel showed us it's not important what happened before. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, and I, and yeah, if they want to do like kind of like the redemption of the Skywalker name is what Luke does and what Leia does, I'm cool with that, you know? Mm-hmm. But again, I would be more than happy for them to just be like, oh, and here's just. The adventures of Dash mm-hmm. Rendar over here. You're like, yeah, okay, exactly. cool. Let's go. Let's go follow him. Yep. Let's go. And I would love for you know Disney to maybe put out a, a ongoing television show like the, what Star Trek has done for years. I know there's like the Clone Wars going on right now, but I mean, there's just so much you could do with this, mm-hmm. especially with the technology we have now. That it's like, why not? Just just keep going, guys. Just keep expanding. There's no reason to. What, what's also curious that more. Uh, more people aren't talking about is the future of Indiana Jones, yeah. another product of uh, Lucasfilm. And and I know that got mentioned really briefly is basically that that was not part of the consideration um, that Disney did in their valuation of the purchase and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that I don't think Indiana Jones is right at the forefront of their thinking. I think no. Star I think Star Wars was probably well, clearly. I mean, thing. Star Wars is such a juggernaut of yeah. merchandise and movies yeah. and everything, but. Um, you know, it does said, seem would... like it does open them up for a, a new young Indiana Jones TV show on Disney or mm-hmm. just a new Indiana Jones movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to see something happen with that franchise. I mean, in some ways, the fact that something interesting could happen with that franchise excites me maybe even more than the star. I, for me, I, I mean, this may be a horrible thing to say to some people, but I've actually always enjoyed the Indiana Jones world and, and stories even more than the Star Wars mm-hmm. uh, movies and stories. And so for me, that's, I don't know, to me, that's very that's exciting. Wrong taste. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's so, just, that's just you. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's very exciting to me is that there's that. And then I also don't know, um, I haven't done enough research, research on this to know, like what's happening to industrial light and magic and yeah. Lucas arts and, you know, all of the other things, you know, is, if those are that going to be, or if they're not yeah. touch, if they're their own separate entities at this point. Yeah. You know, does this open the way for a whole lot of new video games? Does this open up, you know, mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, is Disney now like the juggernaut of visual effects in, in the world? You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, so I, I, Pixar and ILM, if they have ILM under their belt now. Yeah. I mean, I assume be, for my, and this is just me, I don't know, like you, but I kind of assume ILM is its own separate entity at this point that will be continued to make George Lucas a lot of money, and <laughs> I'm di- and he can retire very happily. I think he's getting almost like $2 billion personally because he personally owned Lucasfilm, mm-hmm. and so he is he is set for life and life and a half and forever. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's interesting news. Well played, George. Yes. It's, it's very interesting news. And, and, you know, to me, 
I I really don't see a downside to it. No, there, there is no dark side <laughs> <laughs> to this news. Um, no, that's kind of my take on it. I'm, no, I'm sure that's, I'm sure that's... something will present itself, but in my mind, it can't be much worse than it already was. <laughs> and there's a lot of opportunity for Disney to really exploit these franchises. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, well, that you know, let us know what you guys think. Uh, find us at moviesyoushouldlove.com. You know, there'll be a page dedicated to this podcast. Give us your comments there. Find us on Facebook at Movies You Should Love. Uh, for, I mean, Facebook.com, obviously, Movies You Should Love. Or just yell at, yell at us on Twitter <laughs> at Movies You Should Love as well. Um, moving on to uh, movies you've been watching recently, Lauren. There's been uh, some good movies coming out in theaters recently, yeah. it seems. And I've yeah. seen a couple. I've seen one. What have you been seeing? Um, well, I've seen two really notable films that I, I feel I must mention here. Um, the first one is Argo, um, directed by Ben Affleck, starring Ben Affleck. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, uh, you know, you and I have talked uh, after several of his, his other movies have come out, I think on this very podcast, mm-hmm. about how impressed we've been with his directing career. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of how he's developing, um, you know, as a filmmaking professional and as an actor and, and all of that kind of thing. And... My goodness me, uh, Argo is fantastic. Uh, it is it is exactly the kind of movie that I love, mm-hmm. um, and it is so well done. Um, I, I there is nothing bad I can say about it. Like I cannot pinpoint a moment where I just go, "Oh, well, that was a bad choice." There, like, there's nothing about this movie that is bad. That's awesome. And um, I mean, it is. It, for those who don't know, it's based on a true story out of the Iranian cross, uh, hostage crisis, um, and uh, basically, um, there's these hostages who escape from the prison um, where they are being held, or before, before, basically, uh, simplifying really a lot. They actually weren't held; they escaped the embassy before it turned into a prison, uh, whatever. But the Iranians are looking for them. Um, and want to put them in prison, basically. Mm-hmm. They're holed up in the uh, in the house of the Canadian ambassador, um, who's like the only person willing to keep them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no way to get them out. Um, the only thing that like the State Department come out, can come up with is to give them bicycles and let them, you know, bike out a hundred and some odd miles in the dead of winter in Iran. Um, and that's not going to work. Yeah. And so Ben Affleck comes in, and he's kind of an expert at you know, extracting people. And he, Hi, I'm Ben Affleck. I extract people. <laughs> basically. <laughs> and, uh, and he comes in and he's like, you know, what we could do is we could put together a fake movie company and mm-hmm. go in and do a location scout in Iran and uh, rescue these people as part of the film crew. <laughs> so crazy. It just might work. And that's basically what everybody says. Um, and it is like it sounds funny as I say it. There's mm-hmm. nothing funny in this. I mean, there's little moments where people find ways to to say something funny or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, John Goodman's in this, and he has a couple of, of laughs and things in it. Um, the humor, though, is is very intrinsic just to the characters and things. It's right. not a funny movie. It's not. I mean, this is a suspenseful edge of your seat kind of movie mm-hmm. not because it's scary in any way shape or form but because death and life are literally always on the line mm-hmm. and i mean the tension is just ratcheted up 
you know, to, all the way to full on 10. I mean, from the opening shots of the movie, it never lets up. Mm-hmm. Um, That's in, cool. In like the best way ever. Yeah. And uh, man, I, I loved it. It is, I, I, I don't know if you can tell this from the way I'm talking, but like, <laughs> I, I loved the movie. It's probably one of the best movies I've seen this year. I sincerely hope it's up for Oscars and things because cool. I, I loved it. Uh, I can't say enough good things about it. Everyone should go and see it. I've recently scaled back to part-time, and I would definitely plan on spending one of my days off watching this movie next week. I just haven't had a chance to, but as soon as I saw the previews for it, I was like, this movie was made for me. <laughs> yeah, so uh, do your report when you get back, but man, yeah, yeah it's it's good stuff. Um, let's see, the other thing that I've seen, uh, this one's maybe even harder to explain, um, it's the film Samsara, mm-hmm. um, which... Made by the makers of Baraka, right? Yes, yeah, so if you... If if we have not completely lost you between the words Samsara and Baraka, Baraka is not a character in Mortal Kombat. Which no, is by which you might think no. Um, you know these are films. Uh, basically, the the explanation I can give, uh, Baraka was made what late nineties, I guess, mm-hmm. um, maybe early early two thousands. Maybe it was the release, something like that. Uh, it, but it was could have been early nineties because we saw it in film school. school. Yeah. So anyway, it was it was shot over like 10 years something yeah. like that. Um as was Samsara. I mean they basically started shooting it after yeah. they made Baraka. Um and uh you know basically what they do with these movies is they the the filmmakers travel the, the globe. I mean literally uh every continent available basically. Um and they take a 70 millimeter camera with them and um, they capture the world on film in like the most beautiful way possible. Sometimes the most disturbing way possible. You know, it, it depends on what they're trying to mm-hmm. say or not say at that point. And uh, and then kind of cull through the footage and uh, you know, it's it's not really a narrative sort of story. It's more of a an emotional experience or you know something kind of like that um it's just it it creates a picture of the world in a certain way mm-hmm. um and uh, uh baraka I, I i absolutely love baraka um it's just it's a beautiful movie and i i highly recommend it to anyone i mean it's it's just a gorgeous piece of cinematography and a fascinating look at what kind of a what you can do just through imagery and mm-hmm. music and, and without telling a story per se. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Samsara does the same thing. I think to me, Baraka was just a little bit more successful. I, I think I like the themes. If, if you can say themes, um, in something like this of, because it doesn't actually have like a really strict narrative. Right. But it, the way the imagery is put together, it, it definitely creates kind of a certain... It takes you on a, a particular a, a journey. A particular journey, yeah. yeah. And I, I think the the path I was taken through on Baraka was probably a little bit more pleasant. Okay. Um, uh, and, and I maybe responded it, to it a little bit better. Um, that said, Samsara is gorgeous and... Um, still an incredibly fulfilling experience. Um, I mean, you can't walk out of the theater and not feel something after it. Um, you know, I, I think part of it is that, I mean, they shoot these over 10 years and it, and, and then put it together. And, and it really is each of these movies is kind of a reflection of the state of the world mm-hmm. in a 10 year period. And so, right. you know, I think 10 years ago, the world was kind of one thing 
And, you know, since then we've had 9-11 and we've had economic crises and we've had, um, you know, the invention of iPads and iPhones and all kinds of things. And, and the world has changed in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the footage that they capture and the feelings that are evoked evoke some of that change. And, and I think... Interesting. I, I, yeah, I, I, and even even when they're in places where you don't really think of those things affecting, it's still somehow, you know, when they're showing, you know, Tibetan monks or something, mm-hmm. because they're they're showing that, and also, you know, plants making, manufacturing, you know, electronics in China or somewhere, you know, it, it just makes that divide bigger somehow or or whatever. So it's I don't know. Uh, there's something about all of that that. I don't know, made me a little more sad than Baraka did. Right. Um, but that said, I, I think it's an accurate reflection of, of things. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's part of the experience of it. And, you know, I'd love to see whatever the next one is in 10 years and see where the world is at then. Um, it's, it's almost like a snapshot of the world in 90 minutes. Um, it's, it's beautiful. I went and saw it in the theater. Um, I saw a 35 millimeter print, which was great. Um, I wish I could have seen it in you know 70 millimeter or 4k projection or something like that because mm-hmm. i think that's really the way to see it um you know i'd like to revisit it again at least in like hd or something like that just yeah. to see um I, I actually think i i know 35 millimeter sounds like it should do good but i actually think a really good hd transfer will actually let me see even more even more than i could see on the 35 millimeter print mm-hmm. so definitely something i will look forward to catching like the blu-ray of or something like that at, cool. uh, when it's released cool. um, or if i can get to a 4k projection of it somewhere right definitely definitely do that but um yeah sam sarah uh, i'll give it a thumbs up as well um definitely if you haven't seen baraka go check out baraka um there's a, a blu-ray of it as well available now um if you can mm-hmm. watch it in hd beautiful gorgeous uh so that's what I've seen, Scott. Cool. Um, couple, I guess it was not last week, but the weekend before, uh, we decided to all go as a family to go see a movie that we all kind of did, we could all agree on. And that movie that we all agreed on was The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Yeah, which look, it, to me it looked really good from the trailer. It's kind of like a cute little teenager-y kind of movie. But like in a in a positive sort of way, not like a, you know, high school musical that's sort of That's exactly how they sold it. Mm-hmm. I adored this movie. I just absolutely adored it. What they don't show you is the dark, dark, dark <laughs> side of the story in that trailer. Like watching the trailer, you kind of go, "Okay, this is." It kind of has a slightly independent film feel, mm-hmm. and so going into it, I expect it to be something of a dramedy. Like it's going to be kind of cute. It's going to have some comedy in it, but I expected them to deal with you know kind of real life kind of situations. Well, it seems like everybody's a misfit and they kind of don't yeah, fit into the world. And, exactly. You know, life may not be going great for these kids, and and um. There was some really fairly intense conversations that take place in this. What, but before I get into that, what I have to say about this movie is that none of it rings false. Everything about it feels very accurate. I've never seen a movie about high school that so accurately captures the absolute chaos, the absolute feeling of being completely out of control when you are entering into a situation where people expect you to be in control and expect you to start making decisions that will affect the rest of your life and how you are a literal nobody when you show up um, your freshman year. 
like the feeling like the way they the, the three main characters are portrayed very early on you see the chaos of their home life and then you see the chaos of the high school and you immediately go that's exactly how it feels and it, it, it brought back a lot of high school feelings and emotions for me very quickly um I mean, this is a kid that he goes to his first school, uh, the first day of school, and he doesn't make any friends except for his English teacher, which, guilty. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's things like that. We just go, oh, I'm not alone. And that's what I thought was the coolest thing about this movie was that a lot of the characters that are in this movie really make you feel that they kind of in a positive way say, you're not alone. We're all trying to figure this out, and it kind of sucks. Um <laughs> Emma Watson is really fantastic, and it's a really smart, uh, I think, role for her to take because it allowed her to distance herself a little bit from Hermione. This is her first real big role since Harry Potter, and she's great in this. Um, Logan Lerman is the main character, and he is just quite astounding. Um, but I think the real champion of this movie is the writer-director, uh, Stephen Chabowski, I think. I don't know if that's how you pronounce his last name, but he wrote the novel. And then he got to write the script for the film, and then he got to direct it. And this is his first time directing, and there's some really solid... Like, there's nothing in here I would have done differently. Um, but the warning I would give people going into this is that it does go to a very dark place a couple of times. Dealing with... I mean, it's not dealing with anything that you haven't already discussed, maybe, or you haven't already confronted, but there was a couple things in there that we weren't expecting to show up, especially near the end of the movie. There's a point around graduation where people start leaving and it brings up, I don't want to give it away because it's such a wonderful movie that I really, it's just, it was a much richer and deeper emotional journey than I was expecting. And at the end of it, there's, it confronts some pretty weighty issues, some stuff that um, had definitely had us talking for a couple of days afterwards um, stuff that again we just we weren't expecting it because the trailer didn't even hint at some of the stuff that our characters have to deal with. Hmm. Um, it's good though, man. It's like it's just it's solid writing. It's got a gr- it's got a phenomenal soundtrack. Uh, really, d- you know, decent cinematography. Kind of has a not you know, it just kind of has a whole independent film kind of feel that I just I really kind of love. And this is the kind of movie that like I would recommend showing. Like watching with your kids it's got it's got some sex in it it's got some drugs in it it's got you know but it's got it doesn't have anything in it that they're not going to be confronted with or dealing with as soon as they enter high school so um and it's all handled in a pretty tasteful way so i really kind of love this movie and uh i can't wait to own it because <laughs> it's like it just it had a couple laugh out loud moments that, that just came out of nowhere it had but it just had really rich characters that i felt were very honest and very true to life, but yet in an entertaining way. And so I really appreciate that in my entertainment and just really kind of adored this movie. Yeah, that sounds good. I will have to... uh... Yeah, it's good, but man, (laughs) it takes a right turn. (laughs) (laughs) And it's one of those things they set up in the movie, and so if you're paying attention, it doesn't completely come out of left field. At the same time, the narrative does take a sharp right turn. You just go, oh, we're not going... Oh. Oh, <laughs> and it's pretty sobering. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, I will look forward to uh, I, definitely. I would definitely watching it. <sighs> All right, that brings us to the movies we are here to celebrate today. The movies oh. that 
define us, that inspire us, that we just continue to enjoy uh, revisiting. Um, yeah. Okay. So was this an easy easy job for you? No, no, <laughs> Scott. This was uh, okay. So we've been doing this podcast for a year, and we were like, "Hey, we should do something special for our one year anniversary." Why don't we list our top five movies? We both went, yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, and then I sat down to do it and realized it was a horrible idea. <laughs> Worst idea Hor- ever. Wor- horrible, horrible idea. Because I, I don't know about you. Uh, I, I I love movies. I, I, I know that about you. Yeah. But, I mean, I love movies. And so for me to say, oh, here's my top five. My top five is a changing list at the best of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if you extend that to like my top 10 or top 20, um, that, that could include my top 200 somehow, you know, like at any point, like my top 200 movies could suddenly get into, you know, any one of them could be in my top 20. And it's, it's so hard to quantify things like this because there are definitely Mm -hmm. days where if you ask me what's, you know, what's your favorite movie, I'm going to say, Oh my goodness, I love this movie. And there are certain movies that didn't make this list, but definitely had a very large impact on me. There's mm-hmm. movies, like, I know you know this about me, but um, when I was going into film school, the movies of Kevin Smith, specifically, like, Chasing Amy and Clerks, were really big inspirations to me, and were movies that I went, I can tell stories like that. That's also filmmaking. It's not all just Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And so those movies were huge for me at any time in my life, but they don't make my top 10 or my top 20, yet it feels wrong to not mention them or not have them on my list because, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. This was very hard. Um, so, uh, for me, the the numerical order of things on my list, I think I have to to just say up front. But Big like, asterisk. Yeah. Like, like, I think numerically don't really put into account like that one is actually necessarily better than five or whatever. I, I don't think of it that way. These are just, it was just a way to organize it. It should almost be like bullets versus numbers. I can see that. Yeah. You know, I, um, I will say like my top two are pretty solid. Yeah. Like, probably, probably my top two are, are really solid. Like and they're not going that, anywhere. Like within those like three through five, they could probably change tomorrow later today i might be like mm-hmm. well really number four should be number three um but then the, the six through ten slots which we won't really get into today those man any of those could be in any other order mm-hmm. and some of those could be in my top five especially my number six it's just like it's uh <laughs> they're so yeah. good yeah. uh real quick let's run through our six through tens let's just kind of the ones that didn't quite make that one through five cut. Yeah, these these are the horrible movies that just didn't make. No, the cut, these are Scott. movies I adore. <laughs> you know, these are movies that I like. These are like if I have to, if I ever had to sell all my DVDs, these ten would not go anywhere. I own all of these movies, and they would stay in my house. I refuse to let them go. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Um, yeah, so what are your six through ten? Uh, and they don't have to. Again, this doesn't have to be in numerical <laughs> order. It can just be. No, they. Uh, well, so I did list them in what I decided was basically my numeric order. So I will list them that way because today I still agree with this order. So number 10 would be Amadeus movie about uh, Mozart that I absolutely adore. Uh, <laughs> um, the dark Knight would come in at number nine, which surprises me because it's the only superhero movie list movie on my list. And I'm not, I don't even count myself as the biggest Batman fan, but the dark Knight is phenomenal. Um, Disney's Robin hood. This is a movie I grew up with. I watched this My parents taped it off of, Disney for me, and I watched it endlessly. Uh, the Iron Giant, 
Mm. I, I, it's the Iron Giant. It's so good. Um, and then uh, The Great Dictator, the Charlie Chaplin film. It just it gives me goosebumps. It gives me chills. It inspires me. It humbles me. It shows me what a lousy writer and director I am. I, <laughs> I adore The Great Dictator. Yeah. Uh, I can't really argue with any of those. Those. It, uh, yeah. Most of those can fit on my list as well. Um <laughs> Okay, so mine are not quite in as strict numerical order as Scott's. Um, Did this change as the podcast began? I feel like no. Just, okay, <laughs> no, it didn't. I thought about it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, okay. So my six through ten. These are movies. Again, any of these could swap into my top five at any given moment. Yeah. <clears throat> but um, Raiders of the Lost Ark is on there um, because it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Um, it's. Maybe the fantastic. best film of all time. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, the Princess Bride is on oh. there because it's The Princess Bride. And, <laughs> I like uh, how our defense of these movies are going to be. Did you just hear the title I just said? Uh-huh, therefore, <laughs> it's I there. Say anymore? Um, no, I mean, there's just there's so much to love about The Princess Bride. I mean, you know, six fingered men and uh, sword fights on top of cliffs. It's and, inconceivable I, that it wouldn't inc- be on this list. Yeah, exactly. Um, the Sting. Uh, which is like the grandfather of all caper movies and still the best of them. Uh, you know, and, and it's buddy comedies and, and, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's brilliant. Um, singing in the rain, which is like maybe the best musical of all time. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know, maybe it's not, but it's on my list cause I love it. Yep. Um, uh, Lawrence of Arabia because it's just, I mean, it's awesome. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's awesome. <laughs> There's nothing more I can say about it than that. It's just, uh, you know, it's one of those movies that just like, Again, shivers and, and the whole movie happens in in characters' eyes, and you know you know things about a character just because of the way they look at the camera. And I mean, it's it's amazing, uh, brilliant filmmaking, um, and a great story, and uh, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, Raiders, Princess Bride, The Sting, Singing in the Rain, Lawrence of Arabia. Those are the kinds of movies that did not make my top five. So that's amazing because those are good yes. movies. But th- yes. that's that's the thing; these are our favorite movies this really some some of these movies are on the afi some of these are on other people's top best films of all time some of these never will be you know and these this is really just kind of about us and where we're coming from um as we conduct this podcast mm-hmm. so is there anything else you want to say before we get into the top five our top five favorite films um just uh <laughs> if if yours is not mentioned be nice don't to us, us in the comments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let us let us know what it is, but don't uh well, don't judge us because your movie is not in our top five. Again, this is it's so subjective. It's everybody's gonna say something different because movies and art affect everybody so differently. And that is what is so cool about so much so many of it so many of these things. <sighs> And that's also why we're not conducting our top five worst films of all time. I think that would only create ire. Yes. All right. So, what's number five, Scott? Hit us. Hit me with your number five, and then I'll tell you what mine is. Number five is a movie that I went into the theater, kind of saying that looks interesting, and I was just blown away. I've watched it, I don't know how many times at this point, and it's a movie that continues just to kind of give me goosebumps. And it's the kind of science fiction that I love, and it's Children of Men. Um, oh, I love that movie. Starring Clive Owen and Julianne Moore and um, Michael Caine. Um, and directed by Alfonso Curran, and it's just phenomenal. If you haven't seen this movie, it's like it takes place in this kind of not too distant future where, for some reason, um, 
fertility has basically just died. Nobody is the, the youngest or the, the youngest child in the world is like 18 or 19 years old. Nobody has had a baby in almost 20 years. And it's this examination of how society breaks down and what happens. And then the most astounding thing, what happens when hope returns? How does that affect the world? How does that affect a single person? How does that affect war, the economy? So many things get explored and they get sometimes certain things get explored so quickly that you almost miss it, but when it gets when it they touch on it and it just it makes perfect sense and it each scene can kind of spawn a new kind of thing to meditate on and it's mm. um, it it's just great it's just it's solid filmmaking with you know just a compelling idea that you know in a little bit it kind of harkens back to the old stories it kind of it'll remind you a little bit of Mary and Joseph trying to get to you know trying to get somewhere so the baby Jesus can be born somewhere. But it's not necessarily that story. It's not necessarily a nativity story. It is a dystopian science fiction uh, drama that has some amazing action in it. And so oh my gosh, yeah. The camera work in this is just stupefying, and it's just everything. It's just, it's my number five favorite film of all time. Yeah, I, no, I completely agree. I mean, it's, it's just a brilliant film i mean it's one of those movies like the more you watch it the more you will get out of it yeah it really um, rewards you for repeat viewings mm-hmm. it doesn't demand and, but it does reward you exactly and and my goodness the 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 technical genius of the making of the film mm-hmm. is just uh, i mean some of the uh i mean my favorite sequence i mean out of several <laughs> genius so sequences, from, really but but i love the sequence where they're driving and they get attacked yeah um and it's just all in one take, and like people are shot, and you know, I mean, it's just it's this brilliant, amazing piece of technical filmmaking that also drives the story forward, and has incredible acting in it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and he does that he does it a couple of times in the movie where you don't even realize it. You get through, you go, that was all in one camera shot. Yeah, and it just and he does it in a way that's not it doesn't draw you out of the story. Sometimes yeah. directors will do it, and you go. Oh, I see what you're doing here. Sometimes it's a trick. In this movie, it's not a trick. It's part of the storytelling, and it, mm-hmm. I mean, it's genius. It just it, it pulls you more into the world because the the violence is so sudden at times and it's so visceral, and, and you yeah. just go, oh, we were just having a fun conversation. We we're just doing this thing, and now all of a sudden, yeah, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's yeah, horrible. it's 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 yeah, it's definitely. I would put this in somewhere in my top movies <laughs> as well, just not on my particular yeah. list this time. Um, yeah. Great movie. Children of Men. Loved it. Mm-hmm. All right. So my number five, uh, The Passion of Joan of Arc. Um, this was kind of, uh, it's, it's a 1928 uh, silent film about the trial of Joan of Arc. Mm-hmm. Um, it has Maria Falconetti, who, if you've never heard of her, uh, that's understandable because this was basically, I think, one of two films that she was ever in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she was a she was a stage actress uh, the rest of the time. But um, it's uh, you know, it's a movie that has had kind of a storied history. Um, it's you know, uh, it was lost for quite a while. Um, surviving copies were not complete. They finally found like a complete version of it in a mental institution in like Sweden or somewhere like that. Like it's, I mean, it's had this whole history Mm -hmm. of like how we have the film today, which is all interesting in and of itself. But even putting all of that kind of thing aside, um, you know, for me watching this movie, um, it's a beautiful 
movie that is all told, um, you know, in so many period set pieces like this, you know, kind of movies would give you these big expansive sets and um, mm. put everybody in costumes. And, and I'm not saying that they don't have everyone in costumes and things, but the whole movie is shot in close-ups of people's faces at odd angles that, you know, because the, the dialogue of film, you know, the, the, the way films were made had not been canonized at that point. And so there was this room for experimentation and things at this point. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's shockingly beautiful and um you know again like i said with um uh Lawrence of arabia so much of this happens in characters eyes and the way they look at each other and and uh you know you can see what everyone is thinking and and how uh, it's it's just it's powerful and it builds up into you know just these powerful moments within the film mm-hmm. um and uh it it's probably, uh, I don't know, it's one of my favorite movies, uh, obviously, because it's on this list, but it's it's there for a reason. It's, you know, this is the movie that... This is um, a movie that has inspired you for a long time, because yeah. this is a movie we, we talked about in film school. In film school. This well, is something, you, this is a movie you introduced to me in film school yeah. back in 2001. Yeah, th- this movie, this movie was, was the movie that really let me know that you could tell a story visually... Mm-hmm. And you don't have to have words to do it. Mm. Um, you know, I, like I like I was talking with Samsara and Baraka earlier. This is kind of the flip side of this. This is a narrative, mm-hmm. but the, I mean, it's it's a silent film, so it's just it's the way people respond to each other and and their looks and their you know the way things are cut together and and yeah you know even the musical score that's played with it or whatever, which is not the original score that would have been there at the time. But it's you know all of this builds up to this powerful experience. And uh, you know it's it's almost a hundred years old. It's you know nineteen twenty eight. Um, you know not what ninety some years old, eighty some years old at this point. Um, and and yet it's still something that because of its visual nature, it can still resonate today, and um, you know still can challenge me as a filmmaker to do better than they did then. I mean, I mean, that's, I mean, that's something incredible to be able to say that yeah. something that old is still challenging today. Yeah. And that, um, you know, to me, this, to me, I, I know there's lots of people who will put other movies from the silent era. Um, and I'm not saying that there aren't other great silent films. I mean, you can, you can pick almost any Charlie Chaplin movie and it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can, you can pick, uh, for those who really like it, that, sunset movie or whatever mm-hmm. it was that we watch and there's don't get me wrong there's great things about that um this movie is the movie for me that i think did all of those things that those movies do for other people mm-hmm. um this is kind of the silent film that made me go silent film is valid and worthwhile and we need to go back and keep watching it um and beyond that even if it hadn't done that, it's just a fantastic movie in its mm-hmm. own right. Mm-hmm. So I highly recommend it to anyone who's interested in movies. Um, it it's it's just amazing. I love it. Okay, number four. Um, number four for me is a movie. Again, most of these movies are kind of movies that kind of took me by surprise. Um. And maybe that's why they've left such a mark on me. This was a movie that I wanted to see as soon as I saw the trailer. Um, 
for several reasons. One, directed by Christopher Nolan, a man who has never disappointed me as a director. Um, starred Christian Bale, another guy that, uh, you know, he, he makes really interesting movies. Um, it's a period piece, which I sucker for a period piece. Um, it's about magic, which is so can be so much fun in any kind of story. Um, the Prestige. This is a movie that, um, and I maybe I mean I, I know someone may be able to completely combat what I'm about to say, but The Prestige marks one of the first times I've ever seen a movie where I walked out of the theater and I said, I've never seen that story before. So many movies, or so many stories, you can kind of, every story kind of goes back to one basic thing. It's like, oh, this is the story of, it's a, it's a you know, every romantic comedy is basically the same story with different dialogue. Every movie is essentially kind of, you can boil it down to like, there's only two or three stories to tell. The Prestige was this a fascinating examination of obsession and what it can do to a person that I had, I've just, I'd never seen anything like it. And I'm, I'm, again, I'm sure there are, there are other movies out there, other stories or other books that examine obsession and do it in, in maybe a similar way, but I am still haven't seen it. This movie, Christian Bale, uh, Hugh Jackman, Michael Caine again, um, in this just fascinating thriller mystery where you're trying to figure out what's going on. And this is one of the first movies, uh, <laughs> Christopher Nolan does this to me so many times, where I walk out of the theater and I would be more than happy just to get right back in line and watch it a second time. Inception did that to me. This movie is a movie, again, that it, this is a movie that kind of demands a second viewing, but it has rewarded me so much and has given me so much to think about. And it's like, there's just so much... This is, again, I, I like movies that can entertain me, that can also kind of challenge me. And this has a very kind of deep and dark message about the nature of obsession while also bringing in Tesla and bringing in some of this cool turn-of-the-century technology and this uh, the mystery of magic and how real it is. And just, oh, it's so great. And it's just like, it's it's. It's so well written, and the performances by Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale are so just spot on. It's just there's again, it's just no misstep in this film. And I, you know, I think some people have. It came out around the same time as The Illusionist, and I don't know if the two of them kind of diminished each other a little bit. I feel like The Prestige has kind of lost a little bit of its luster over time. People now talk about Inception more, and that's fine. Inception's a great movie. I love upset uh, Inception as well. But there's something about the prestige that I can just watch it anytime you come over to my house, you say you hey, let's watch the prestige. I'm down. It's this is just a I am so I am a person and you, you might see this as we go through all of these movies. I am really fascinated by the way people treat each other. I'm somebody who really kind of wants to get inside the psyche of, of people's minds and why do you why do they work that way? And this is one of those movies that just delves right into that. Who started this feud? Why do you continue doing it? This is this is destroying both of your lives. And it's just to watch these two men just slowly destroy each other and destroy themselves is just phenomenal. And it's there's just nothing else out there like it. And if you haven't seen it, go watch it. And if you if you watched it and you didn't like it, go watch it again anyway. It's like it's one of those that <laughs> I have some friends who are like, Yeah, we saw it. We like the illusionist better. I'm like 
Deludinus is great. Don't get me wrong, but it's not a new story. It's it's just that it's just you know man loves girl and the odds are against them. It's Romeo and Juliet. It's not that new of a story. Paul Giamatti is phenomenal in it, and Edward mm. Orton is awesome. But and Jessica Biel is there too. Yeah, you know. But I mean, I'm just saying, <laughs> there's nothing really wrong with the Illusionist. But yeah. the Prestige is so much more than <laughs> all of that. And like, I read the book after the movie came out. I read the Prestige book. The book is good too. There's nothing wrong with the book, but. It's a completely different it's so story. Different. <laughs> it's yeah. so different. And it's like this movie, it just it just it just nailed it. And this is the movie that really to me sold me on Christopher Nolan. That after I saw this movie, I was like, I will watch anything that he directs. I don't care who's in it, what's it about, I will watch it. Because this is somebody who just his filmmaking he's just phenomenal. Yeah. And I, no, I I can't wait for his next movie, whatever it is. Yeah, I completely agree. Um I, I mean, you've said everything that needs to be said. Just, I mean, it's it's a brilliant film, and um, man, I I loved it. I saw it in the theater, and I saw it again. But it's just on it's DVD so and again and again and again on DVD. Yeah, I, I exactly. It. And it's just it's 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 so cool to see a movie that is about like magic and about mm-hmm. the concept of the prestige, and then the way the whole movie is constructed. It's the whole movie is constructed as a magic trick mm-hmm. that has a big reveal at the end. That is the prestige, and it makes you go, "How did they do that?" And the you know magician never tells the secrets, so you may not ever quite know. But I think I've seen it enough times. I think I I don't know how they did that. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it's just so cool. It's so well done. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. Um, my number four, um. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this is. I have a feeling this is going to be a controversial one on here. Actually, not for me. Than, not, no, but um, <laughs> my number four is is Kingdom of Heaven, the director's cut. Um, which it's very important to put that director's cut. It in is um, because the theatrical version. I saw it in the theater and I liked it, mm-hmm. but the director's cut turned this movie into a masterpiece. Um, at least for me, it did. Um, this movie, well, first off, it combines probably my favorite era of historical study, yes. which is, uh, you know, kind of uh, crusade era, um, you know, Europe and the Holy Land at that point. Um, mm-hmm. And my goodness, uh, this movie is a Ridley Scott production. So just saying that off the bat, you know, it's going to look fantastic. Yep. Um, and it has beautiful sets and locations and seamless CG in battles. I mean, huge battle sequences and all kinds of wonderful things. Great acting from, you know, Liam Neeson and... Uh, oh, every, such I mean, a huge every, cast. Huge cast. Liam Jeremy Neeson, Irons. Jeremy and, Irons. Edward Norton. Eva yeah. Green. Oh, Edward Norton's amazing. And, Brendan Gleeson. Um, Orlando yeah. Bloom. You know, yeah, like, and Orlando Bloom. I mean, he's the, the main, main character. character. <laughs> yeah. Michael um, Sheen's in it briefly at the beginning. Like, there's so much... There's so many people in this, and they are so yeah. good at what they do. Yeah. Um... And uh, you put all of that together into this, uh, you know, semi-historically accurate. I have, I, I can pick plenty of issues yeah. with the uh, the historical translation of it, but that's not really the point of it. It's it's actually a the movie is an examination, really, of our current political uh, mm-hmm. political uh, climate religious here. climate. Yeah, yeah, and um, inside of that there is a lot of things in this movie that at least to me strike home very uh very well um it it really shows kind of the timelessness of the conflict that we are in today mm-hmm. um it shows 
some solutions. It shows some problems to those solutions. It shows... Um, it. I, I think maybe more than anything, it kind of shows, at least to me, kind of the ideal of a way to act as an individual to people yeah. of their faiths. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, it's an amazing adventure movie. Yeah. Um, and so, for me, this this movie, it kind of has everything that I like in a movie. It's It's both action-packed it's philosophical it's mm-hmm. beautiful it's well-made it's um you know and it's very relevant to me and there are still sequences in it that you know just get me every time yeah. um you know and characters that uh, you know uh every time edward norton shows up i mean it just breaks my heart you so know? I mean, good. he's so amazing and um oh yeah it's i i love this movie um I, it's probably not on most people's top five lists but for me, this is this is probably one of the most relevant, um, most well-made, you know, historical kinds of movies that have come out mm-hmm. in the last. It's 15, definitely 20 years. in my top twenty, and depending on the day, yeah. it could be very easily in my yeah. top ten as well. You know, and and for me, I mean, I know a lot of people go to like Gladiator or things like that, and to mm-hmm. me, this this beats out Gladiator any day of the week. This is to me, it's a, such a stronger story. Um, it is, you know, stronger characters, stronger. I mean, it's. Um, I mean, every, everything about this movie is Ridley Scott at the top of his game. Um, yep. In the director's cut, the director's Watch the cut. director's cut. Yeah, they released it's, it on Blu-ray. And they released an awesome package on DVD with an awesome uh, behind-the-scenes documentary. Um, find Blu-ray. the director's cut. Yeah, director's cut, definitely. So, yeah, uh, Kingdom of Heaven, number four. Number three is nothing but fun. I've never heard of that movie. Nothing but fun. Oh, that's not the title. It's not. No, no, no. <laughs> but like, it, it sounds like a movie that could have come out at the same time. Same it does. Era. It does. John Cusack is having nothing but fun. <laughs> I'd watch that. <laughs> no, this is Back to the Future. And I, I, I'd watch I, that too. Like everybody, I think at this point, I don't know if anybody hates this movie. Um, I'm specifically talking about the first one. The, the second two are still... I. I can't watch the first one and not watch the set, the second and third one. But at the same time, the first one is just so dang good. It's like, it's one of the, it's a movie that from a script writing on a script as a script writer and a, as a storyteller, I really appreciate that how everything that's in that movie on, from a, again, speaking from a script level, everything furthers the story, everything, either, you know, it, every single scene, every single joke, almost, either explains the character, sets something up for for a future thing. It is such a perfectly streamlined script and film. It's just astounding. You know, and some of it isn't, you know, like, you know, him playing the guitar at the end, that might not be the biggest thing for a, as the story goes, but it's the perfect payoff for his character who's frustrated at the very beginning because he can't play his music. And it's, you got the DeLorean and it's got the amazing Alan Silvestri uh, score that I adore, Christopher Lloyd, uh, Michael J. Fox, Leah Thompson. It's just, there's nothing about that movie I don't love. And it's one of those movies I've been watching since 1986, right? 1987. Um, I saw it and I was just like, oh, it's a movie that I watched it. I made my parents go out and buy me a skateboard, which was a huge mistake, but I had to, I had to skateboard. I also had to learn to play the guitar. And, you know, it's like, I still, every once in a while, every blue moon, you see a DeLorean drive by and you're like, Oh, I want a DeLorean. You know, there's just, it is just, this is my kind of popcorn flick where it's just, it's funny. It's action packed and it's adventure. It's great. It's just, it's just a, 
it's the, one of the cornerstones of my, you know, entertainment foundation. It's just like, is you know, is does this rank in the back? How is this compared to Back to the Future? If it it doesn't really have anything philosophical or anything to say about anything other than you know time travel, you probably shouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like you can pick it apart. There are some time paradoxes that take place, but it's like it's it's not the point of this movie. This is just a fun movie that's just silly and a little over the top but just i love this movie i can watch again the soundtrack or portions of the soundtrack are almost constantly on my ipod or on any of my playlists whether it's huey lewis in the news or whether it's alan silvestri i'm constantly having a part of back to the future playing somewhere in my life at some point yeah uh, exactly completely agreed again uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's it, yeah <laughs> um, all right so my number three um because i just i don't have anything to add to that it's back to the yeah, future exactly. again it's the title explains why it's there yeah um number three for me uh blade runner um i know we've done a whole podcast on Did this movie already um <laughs> so if you want to really hear me gush about it uh yeah that's like our that. second or third episode i think yeah but um uh, just to kind of summarize this movie is Again, it's kind of the—I don't know—if if Star Wars is the father of all popcorn sci-fi, mm-hmm. um, and maybe two thousand one, a space odyssey is really kind of the the father of all hard sci-fi. Yeah. But if you kind of skip that one, um, <laughs> you know, Blade Runner is like the father of of the watchable uh, uh, hard sci-fi kind of um, the sci-fi with social commentary. The, the sci-fi yeah. that has more to it than laser blasts yeah um you know it's it's just it's brilliant i i can't say enough good things about it i mean it's just it's beautifully made it's beautifully shot it's acted so well um you know it's it's if kingdom of heaven is ridley scott at the top of his current game Mm -hmm. this is like the top of his lifelong game yeah you know this is like i don't imagine he'll ever make anything better than blade runner i'd love to see him try because oh, uh, um, yeah. i would watch that yeah. but even if he doesn't that's okay because i mean he's making things like kingdom of heaven and prometheus and things like that and that's that's great too yep. but um no i mean there, there's nothing about blade runner i mean it's it's a film noir futuristic robot sci-fi future that really just turns into again it's it's you know characters interacting with each other and kind of what I mean, at the end of the day, it's about what is humanity um, mm-hmm. and, you know, what are humans to each other. Mm-hmm. And for a movie that's so big and loud and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, can have all of that kind of stuff and, you know, be so sci-fi-y to, to bring it back to humanity, um, well, man, it's it's great. That's what it's all about for me. I mean, that, to me, that it's in the same category as Children of Men. It's that kind yeah. of movie where it's like you kind of go for the science fiction and then you get sucked into this philosophical social discussion that you just mm-hmm. – that it never leaves you. It's something mm-hmm. that you'll watch a movie, you'll watch something, you'll read something, you'll hear something, and it'll take you back to Blade Runner mm-hmm. or it'll take you back to Children of Men. It's like, oh, man, this, they discussed mm-hmm. this 30 years ago. How are we still discussing this? You know, mm-hmm. How are science fiction movies not any better than that movie? This is, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, to to me, Blade Runner. I mean, like with the Vangelis soundtrack and everything, yeah. it's it's almost like a waking dream being in it. Yeah, and like, uh, you know, you go through it for two hours and you come out and it's like you've had this 
waking dream that has challenged you, you know, kind of, I don't know. Sometimes I have those dreams that I wake up and go, Oh, I had never thought about that before kind of thing. In, I don't know. It's, it's kind of that sort of thing to me. It's just a, yeah, I would, I would recommend everybody if you haven't seen it, see it, but if nothing else, go listen to our podcast on it. You can find it on iTunes, mm-hmm. find it on our website because we really get into everything that's amazing about that movie. Yeah. There's really, again, there's nothing bad to say about that movie. <laughs> no. So it's, it's a favorite. Yeah. Okay. Number two, it's getting real now. All right. And here's, here's what we got to say. Scott's number two is my number one. So do you want to just discuss it at the same time? Yeah. So why don't we just why, do your thing with it and then I'll say my stuff. Uh, but it's my number one. I'm, I'm, just, I'm trying to just, I, I don't even, honestly, with this movie, I don't even know where to begin. It, it came out, I think, my freshman year of high school or sophomore year of high school. I, the, my, my memories that I have connected to this movie are from my sophomore year. Uh, but I didn't get to see it until it came out on VHS. Um, my goodness, this movie, it like, it, it's Braveheart. The, ah. Mel Gibson's Braveheart, <laughs> written by Randall Wallace, directed by Mel Gibson, starring Mel Gibson. And it, man, it, it, it changed the course of my life. I'm pretty confident in saying because it came out and it, it, it made me realize when my mom and dad used to talk about how we are a Scottish Irish family, I suddenly realized there's a history in Scotland and in Ireland that is not at all English that, you know, you hear about the British history and you think about the revolutionary war and you think about, uh, Queen Elizabeth, but there's this whole other very rich history of Scotland and then of Ireland. Uh, but this movie specifically about Scotland, and I mean, the next ten years of my life was just dedicated almost completely to researching Scotland. Who is this Robert the Bruce fella? Tell me more about Edinburgh. Tell me more about William Wallace. Tell me more about this treaty that everybody hated that forged the Great Britain. And tell me more, you know. To the point of that I, you know, ended up being, I, I took a year off from college to be a student missionary, and I went to Ireland, um, and I spent a year there. And it, like, there's so much of that that just personally, I know I can credit back to this movie. Um, there's, But then you get into the movie itself, and again, it, like Kingdom of Heaven, I don't even care about the historical accuracy or inaccuracy of everything. At this point, I know. I've read <laughs> everything I can find on all of these characters, and I know a lot of this stuff didn't happen the way... It, it doesn't matter. This movie is so, so good. It's like it, it gets you and tells you this story on this very relatable, visceral level that could be very hard to get into. It's this historical drama um, about war. And it's one of those things where I've seen really terrible period movies where you just, everybody sews, you know, it's so, you know, uh, can't even think of the word. It's so airtight that you can't really get into it. This movie kind of just approaches you on this very ground level of like, this is why people fight wars. This is what happened. This is, you know, this led to this, led to this. And this is how you yourself are not powerless, even though you are facing this much larger threat or this much larger authority. Any fight worth fighting can be won. And it's just like, there's so much in this. I mean, the the script is awesome and funny and horrifying. This is one of the first movies that I really remember crying at. You know, it's like the final sequence. Um, and it's not even the death of William Wallace that gets me. It's the the men charging in that final... <laughs> you hear that final monologue and the men are charging the battlefield one last time. And even as a high school student, it would get me just kind of choked up. And that's 
in high school, that's not something that really ever happened with me. And it's a movie that I'll revisit, and it just it just stirs something up inside me, and it just it inspires me to be a better person. And it reminds me that you know every man dies, but not every man really lives. And it's like, well, then let's live. Let's make the best of it because man, it could be so much worse. Let's make it set this even better. I don't know. It's like there's everything about this movie is just so great. Steven, the insane Irishman just cracks me up every single time. <laughs> as soon as he shows up on the screen and Mel Gibson, I, again, I've said it on the podcast before. He is somebody that is very easy to deride at this point. He is, He's, I don't know, I, you know, again, I don't know how much of that, his personal life, I don't know. I don't, I don't know, and at a certain point, I really don't care, because he is so magnetic when he's on the screen, and he makes things work that probably shouldn't be able to work as well as they do, but when he's there and you look into his eyes, you believe him, and when he's making that speech at the Battle of Sterling, you are like, can I charge through the TV screen? I, I'm ready to do this, too. <laughs> There's just, ugh. Uh, yeah, it, it's just, again, I just there's nothing. I, the one thing I've always wanted was a director's cut. I want a longer version of this movie because um, I feel like there is a longer version somewhere. Because from whether it's just like read, I read the book and there was like scenes in the book that weren't in the movie, and then watched them, and then I, I've I've scoured the internet and I have found other trailers, and tra- there are trailers that show scenes that aren't in the movie, and I. There are references in the movie to scenes that you don't see, and you kind of go, did, did that get filmed? I want to see that too. You know, there's... Yeah, Braveheart. It's like, it's, it's that. this is what I want out of my period films. It goes back to Kingdom of Heaven. It's, it's the same kind of just good storytelling and big, sweeping battle scenes. And it's really, it's Braveheart that kind of sent us down the path of the super realistic uh, bloody warfare. Like that was the first movie. That was the big thing people talked about when that movie came out. Then that led to gladiator and saving private Ryan and other stuff. But Braveheart kind of did it first and it's, it is just phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. You can add to it now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, again, this is my, this is my number one. Um, So everything Scott just said uh, to me, this, when it came out, um, I mean, my history with this movie, um, like I saw the ads for it and I wanted to see it and it was rated R and I was not quite old enough to go see R rated movies. Um, and so, yeah, uh, this was like the first movie that I snuck out to, to, (laughs) I actually, uh, rented the VHS on the sly Nice. and watched it like when my parents were out of town or <laughs> so like like i mean that's how that's how much this goes back to for me um this was like my teenage rebellion this movie um no but uh, uh man uh no from from the very first time i saw it uh there is something about this movie it is truly at least in my opinion like the most stirring movie ever made mm-hmm. um i mean from the beginning I mean, to the from the very beginning, where it's just flying over the mountains, yeah. um, to you know finding the bodies hanging in the barn. Mm-hmm. I mean, every scene in it, you know, all the way to the end with you know Man. charges and deaths and saying like every moment of it. So good. I forget it, about that. Forget about the opening yeah. scene with the little boy and his father, and then there's the funeral of his father, and he touches yeah. his dad, and he's cold and stiff, and it's just yeah. like, ah, like, like there's something absolutely stirring in different ways about every single scene in this movie. I mean, this movie kind of defined what 
you know how how awful death could be to me mm-hmm. um it defined so many things about like how a romance could be mm-hmm. um and what love kind of meant mm-hmm. in some ways um it defined uh, i mean not that not that my parents didn't train me in things but it defined kind of like what men do in some ways and and you know what it meant to stand and fight for things and what that truly meant because of the visceral level of the combat and everything in this it wasn't you know as as much as you know uh uh some of these other movies you know that came out before it um you know my my number two that we'll get to in a minute is you know it's an action movie with sword fights and all kinds of things and you know similar time you know not exactly the same but you know medieval time periods and things but there's no blood there's no you know the carnage is very light in it and so it doesn't have that weight to it that this does and that shows what the reality of war is when you Um, see the reality of war you understand at the beginning why he's like if i can live in peace i will i don't want to fight because yeah. he knows what it's like because he's been trained by his uncle and it's like he understands that and so once you get into he, the battle you're like well that's if you're going to win the battle you got to be ruthless mm-hmm. yep. you got to do this and, he, and he's and he's seen death and he knows how bad death is yeah and he knows how good life should be and so it's you know it's about why you would make those those hard decisions why sometimes it's important to fight for the things that actually matter and, and what those sorts of things are. I mean, to me, this is like, uh, uh, this, this hit me at a formative time that really helped me define a lot of the philosophies of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and for good or ill, uh, as depending on, you know, your perspective out there, I mean, you know, this, this movie really helped to shape me into the man that I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that, that's exactly what, yeah, here I am too. And, and I mean, <laughs> when I got married, I wore a kilt, and it's probably because <laughs> it yeah. started here with this movie. Yeah, you know, I don't quite have the the heritage that you do, Scott. But at the same time, you know, it, I I kind of do now because of this no, movie. You know, yeah. in, in a way, I, you know, I have Scottish ancestry, so I can't say that I don't have any of that. But it's not. There's, I'm such a mixed bag of oh, ancestry all, at this point. I don't. It's fine. You know, but, um, no, but I, and I think that's fine. I think there is yeah. a certain amount of as Americans that we can claim so much of the old world mm-hmm. and we can look back at that and go, look at that. And look yeah. where we still are. We're, look where we've come since then. Yeah. Um, something but, else that's interesting about this movie that has on repeat viewings. And as I went to film school and I started examining the, the, the philosophy of story, this is one of those movies that also stands um, against the philosophy of story being about a character who, <laughs> is challenged and changes over the course of the story. Mm. William Wallace doesn't change. <laughs> like, That's true. Like he kind of shows up and goes, no, I, I don't want to. The only time he kind of changes is that like he decides to fight, but that's not even a character change. That's just him saying, I don't want to fight. Okay. You want to fight? I'm going to bring hell. Mm-hmm. I like me now, England. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny. He never changes. He forces the world to change around him. Yeah. And it's really, I mean, it's not every, not every story can be that. Not every, I wouldn't want every movie to be that way, but there's something really remarkable about that. That I think also touches on something deep inside us that where we want to change the world mm-hmm. for better, you know, we kind of want to leave the world a better place. And it's arg- arguably William Wallace did. You know, whether it was this is his legacy, whether this is the real story of what happened or not, he changed the world. He changed Scotland, which changed England, which changed who knows what. Yeah. Um, yeah, this movie has to be number one for me because there are very few movies that I can say 
shaped me as a person. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's movies that have influenced my thinking about what film is or what, but this movie literally helped shape me as a person. And, uh, that has to go yeah, absolutely. Really on my list. And, uh, I don't know. It's something I think about this movie. It's, it's probably in, in my mind, it's like the most, probably because of how it has shaped me. It's like truly the most masculine movie maybe ever made. <laughs> um, you know, it's just, it's... I can't argue with that. You know, it's, I, I think, I honestly have no idea how women respond to this movie. I don't know that I've ever watched it in an audience with women. Okay. But, uh, so I don't, I don't know how that response is. But for me, it, it truly is a movie that gets down into like those primal concepts of masculinity. And I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing. It's cool. So I don't know. Do you want to do you want to touch on your number two, or do you yeah, want, me, or do you want me to? Let's do your number two, then I'll do my number one. Yeah, let me hit my number two here, uh, which is um, the Adventures of Robin Hood, the mm. uh, Errol Flynn Robin Hood uh, film. I know we've talked about this several times yeah. in passing on this podcast, um, and and honestly, easily, this one could be number one for me as well. I mean, Braveheart and Robin Hood, you know, this Robin Hood could swap pretty easily because um if braveheart shaped me as a person the adventures of robin hood is like to me the epitome of what a movie should be um it is the adventures of robin hood is what film was made for Mm -hmm. like you, you could have all of moviedom and the adventures of robin hood to me is like the pinnacle achievement of what film should be for cinema goers it's adventure it's romance it's excitement it's it's everything it's something the whole family can watch without while at the same time not even remotely being family safe it's it's not intended to be that sort of thing it's just it's it's classic adventure in the most technicolor Mm -hmm. amazing way that film can make it Mm -hmm. and um I, and to yeah. me, that's, I mean, it, that's that's just a beautiful thing. Yeah. And there's not many movies that can achieve what this movie did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've loved it ever since I've seen it as a, saw it as a kid the first time. Um, it defined who Robin Hood is to me. It defined... Oh, this movie defined Robin Hood for everybody, I think. Yeah. Whether they realized it or not. Because yeah. I didn't see it for the first time until a couple of years ago. Or a year ago. Um and like every Robin Hood idea you have probably goes movie. back to this movie more than any book you read as a child, more than any other movie. If you saw the Disney Robin Hood, the Disney Robin Hood is kind of a, almost a parody of this, mm-hmm. you know, Robin Hood men in tights is a com- combines uh, Prince of thieves and this movie, you know, it's like, there's so much that just comes directly from this. And when you go, well, Robin didn't do that. He did this. Some of that stuff that you think it doesn't come from the original Robin Hood stories. It comes from this movie. Like mm-hmm. some of those scenes, it's like, it's so, it, it was unbelievable watching this movie for the first time going, Oh wow. Everything comes from this. Mm-hmm. And it's a and it's, fun, fun movie. Well, that's the thing. It's also a movie where there's really, I mean, it's again, it's an older movie, but it still completely works today. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is the period setting of it. I think part of that is, is the point at which it was made in Hollywood history mm-hmm. was also the point that crossed over with kind of the uh, 
the, the written versions of things that we read today yeah. still. So kind of those those popularized versions of Robin Hood in the written form kind of coincide with this with this movie. Yeah. And so you kind of have this picture of chivalry and mm-hmm. of the medieval world in kind of this, you know, romantic, chivalrous sort of way. And the adventures of Robin Hood again encapsulates it. It's it's technicolor. That's how I see the Middle Ages is through, through Technicolor yeah. lenses, Man, and and the Adventures of Robin Hood is the Middle Ages through yeah. Technicolor. Yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing. The next time someone makes a Robin Hood movie, I want them to go back to this. I want yeah. this is this is what I want out of a Robin Hood film. Mm-hmm. You know, it, we've gone we've gone we, the Braveheart route we, with it. Yeah, I think we've we've explored every almost angle. We've we've tried to go this, the quasi super realistic route. We've tried to go the Braveheart route. We've tried to go men in tights you know we've done everything let's bring this back let's ex- let's bring chivalry back let's bring some of these you know it doesn't have to be the same movie but this is really what i this is what i want when i go to a robin hood movie is essentially this robin hood movie mm-hmm. yeah. errol flynn you know it's like you can't say anything bad about that guy no you probably could but why would you why would you <laughs> how dare you sir uh anyhow no uh, uh no, but you know what i'm saying though like with yeah. those big swashbuckling movies and Oh yeah, um, and and that's the thing. I mean, this is this is the top of the game for all of these people uh, who were involved in these things. I mean, Errol Flynn made tons of swashbuckling movies. None of them are better than this. You know, yeah. Olivia De Havilland was in tons of movies. She's probably never had a better one though than this. Uh, Claude Rains, mm-hmm. uh, who you may remember from our Casablanca podcast or mm-hmm. several other, you know fantastic movies he's mr smith goes to washington and i mean he's all over movies of this era again never been better he's never been better than this movie um basil rathbone who you may know Sherlock holmes or uh you know tons of other characters it's really astounding the people that are in this film yeah he's again never been better than as the villain in this movie i mean everyone is just perfect for this film and it's i mean if it was something you made today all of these people would be caricatures of themselves, yeah. which would make it almost a comedy. But at the time, these were the people. These are the people that we see today in these roles. And so they're not caricatures. They just are those characters. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Mm. So, I concur. Yeah. Adventures of Robin Hood easily could be number one, but it's number two. Braveheart is number one for me. I can't argue with that decision. <laughs> yeah. Or with it being your number two slot. It is it is a wonderful movie. Which brings me to my number one movie, which I may have mentioned this podcast before. Um it's a movie that every time every maybe about once a year I go, Is that really my favorite movie? It seems like there's better films out there and I watch it, and I get to the closing credits, I'm like, No, this is my favorite movie of all time but and I'm crying and I'm loving it. Um it is a movie that just gets me and i know that that, that, that's maybe not the best review of a movie ever you know but it's just like there's so much of me wrapped up in this movie um it's a movie written and directed by cameron crowe came out early 2000 uh 2000 2001 uh almost famous it is my favorite movie of all time it's there's so much in it with the the young hero's journey of discovering himself and discovering love and what his relationship to 
girls are going to be, as well as the maybe the, the, the two bigger things that impact me are his love of music, which, while I, I don't necessarily have the love of music that he has, while I do love music, this kid knows music the way I know and love movies. He has this strange just obsession with the subject that kind of alienates him from his peers, and I get that. You know, it's like when my friends in high school were talking about um, girls and cars and guns, I wanted to talk about who was starring in, you know, Speed 2. Why did they replace Keanu Reeves? That seems like such a dumb move. Why would you, you know, why would you even make a Speed 2? And everybody's like, what? (laughs) You know? I, this kid, I, I get that. And then the, maybe the bigger thing is his relationship to his mom. Um, and he comes in this movie kind of comes from a broken home. I do not. I had a awesome father, uh, still do, but the relationship specifically he has with his mom is so, so spot on for my, the relationship I've had with my mom, the, the parts where she really tries to be cool and tries to be like, no, you know what? That's fine. You can go do that. But then she also steps up and is like, you protect him because I'm going to protect him. And that just, she tries her best to, you know, it's like, it's such a cool picture of a, what a mom is and can be because she, you know, understands that her son needs to go out and live life. But at the same time, she wants to protect him and wants to do these things. And I love that. But then I also absolutely adore Billy Crudup in this film. He, he is the, uh, the lead singer of this. He is a golden God. <laughs> And he is in this movie. Like after I saw this movie, I just I have watched every movie I could find with him in it because he is such a phenomenal actor, especially in this film. Like he just he nails this way too cool guy who's like this kind of an older brother, but he's also that that guy in high school and in college that you never could be, but everybody loved, and you just wanted you. Just, but he was kind of nice to you, and like there's just there's so much nuance in the script, and there's so much nuance in the way the characters relate to each other. And then you have Philip Seymour Hoffman as this weird guy near the beginning, and you have there's just so so much in this movie that I just adore. It just it's a movie that I can't necessarily tell you is the best movie ever made. Um, it's it's not a movie that I could tell you anything other than I love this movie. It is my favorite movie of all time, and this is the kind of movie that you know if you like this movie, you're going to really like Perks of, the Perks of Being a Wallflower. They kind of come, they're almost uh, come from the same kind of place, which is this very visceral and very real examination of that time in your life when you're trying to figure out who you are, and. Uh, I, I mean, there's, I, I, I could talk about it really forever and I could just sit down and just, we could talk about the scenes and like the comic timing of some of this stuff. This is also the movie that made me fall in love with Cameron Crowe. And I don't like all of his movies, but like I've watched all of his movies because I like where he comes from as a writer and as a director. Um, man, almost famous. Kate Hudson is in it as well. And as it's, her relationship with him is so cool. And it's just like, there's just so much of it that is just so while being completely, unbelievable is completely relatable and is completely just like man i knew that girl and i yeah man i loved her and she did not know i existed (laughs) you know it's like that whole relationship and just everything in this movie is like it's and it's on top of that is like it's this cool just like love letter to music and the 60s and the 70s and just everything that was that time period and I, I just I love, love this movie. There's just there's just nothing I don't love about it. It's 
it is my favorite movie of all time. Nothing has, nothing has really ever come close to just hitting me on such. I'm a pretty emotional guy. A lot of my, a lot of who I am, comes from inside. I'm way too introverted and inflect, inflective for my own good. And it's just this movie just gets me, and I, I can't defend it beyond that. Just it's my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> well, there you have it. Folks. <laughs> And now you understand the podcast, y'all. <laughs> um, yeah, that's where they're coming from. Yeah, I don't, I don't have anything uh, really to add to that. I mean, it's it's uh, it's a good movie. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, it's it's a good movie. And again, it's like I know it's no Citizen Kane. It'll never be on the AFI Top 100. It's one of the you know. It's like I look at a lot of my movies, and some of these movies aren't necessarily ones that are quantitatively good. But it's like it's they're great movies that just these are the ones that that just have spoken to me over the years and continue to and um i can't i can't wait to find i would love for a movie to challenge this top 10 and you know kind of creep in and pry its way into that number three slot and bump something down it's like i look forward to those movies and i think that's what we all do we all go to movies and we rent these movies so that we can find our new favorite movie of all time Mm -hmm. yeah um uh, something that I was realizing as I put my list together um, is that, you know, I look at my list and, uh, you know, I, I tend to think of myself as a pretty introspective sort of film goer. I really like things that challenge me and that, um, you know, really make me think and that kind of thing. At the same time, when I look at my top 10 list, um, you know, uh, not that that isn't in here. But really, at the end of the day, almost all of these movies, to me, are kind of what cinema is about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not even so much the challenging of it to me, is it just as these are kind of the movies that, for me, um, you know, are, are the reasons that people make films. Um, kind of, you take my top ten as a whole, um, you know, there it's, it's entertainment, it's, um, yeah, it's... It's just it's a it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So, um, so I think that, yeah. I think that's it. Please, you know, agree, disagree. What is what is your top ten favorite films? And thank you guys so much for this year of the podcast. We look forward to another year. Um, I already put it out to Facebook. Please let us know. You know, if there's anything you'd like to see in the next year, is there any a, any change to the format? Is there what would you like to see? Um, but yep. anyway, thank you so much, everybody. Thank you, Lauren, for this uh, fun adventure we've been on. Indeed, and we will see you on our next regularly scheduled podcast. Uh, But until then, thanks for joining us for this great year that we've had. Check us out on Facebook, on our website, on Twitter. Just type in movies you should love, you'll probably find us. Indeed. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com. 